0: I'm Lauderdale, and I'm your host for the Women Physicians Flourish podcast. I'm an internist in the Deep South who knows firsthand about burnout and also about the sometimes difficult, but often wonderful journey to flourishing. My mission is to make this statement true, women physicians flourish. And this podcast brings you the science and evidence-based practices that have helped me most as well as inspiring people and stories about this journey. Because doctors
1: like you deserve not just to be free of burnout, but to flourish. Hello, everybody. So glad that you're back. I'm glad to be here with you. I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest. But before I do that, I want to talk to you about something that's come up a couple times on Instagram posts that I've made over the past week or two, comments from people I don't know. Unfortunately, they were from women who I think should have known better. But it's something that used to bother me a lot. And it really affected how I thought about my own struggles and problems. Um, I made a post about invisible labor. And I've talked about this before. This is the idea that women... And we know this is true. This isn't just me telling a story or somebody whining. Women all over the world do substantially more unpaid work of all kinds than men do. And in medicine in particular, we do have numbers to some degree women do eight and a half hours more work per week outside of work related to household and family duties, caregiving, you know, anything like that's kind of lumped into that more than men physicians do. And it significantly impacts our satisfaction with our lives. You can imagine if you're doing that much more work, there's that much less that you're able to do for your own personal development, stress relief outside projects, anything like that. So I made a post just with some data. And I've gotten a couple of comments that just really rubbed me the wrong way. They were basically statements that said, this isn't that big of a problem, or don't you see the solution is so simple? And these comments were from women, but they were women who weren't even physicians. So first of all, don't come in my space and belittle (laughs) The, my problems without even understanding them. Um, so that was the first thing. And the next was remembering how these comments and other comments like them would have affected me 10 years ago. I would have thought, ooh, and I would have felt that shame sink in. Maybe I'm making a big deal out of this. Maybe I've blown this out of proportion. Maybe this thing. It feels really big to me and really is affecting my life and I'm not sure how to deal with it. Maybe this is just me and I need to shut up. I don't feel that way about it anymore. I've worked on this considerably through the past several years in eliminating involuntary unpaid work that is not meaningful to me, that's not important or urgent or that's not my job. That doesn't mean that I don't do household duties or that I don't care for my family. It means that I've paid attention and have eliminated unnecessary things and delegated things where I can. And this also occurs in our work. Women physicians are more likely to be given duties at work that are unpaid or volunteer and don't lead to promotions or recognition. And that's a big problem. And this is, again, it's, it's not whining about it. This is data. This is the truth. And there's a big change that needs to happen to make that right so that women can achieve equality in the field of medicine. And I think that because we as women in medicine have a substantial amount of Social privilege because of the fact that we're physicians and also economic privilege. I feel like it's a duty that I have to recognize these things and do what I can about it. Because what about women in other professions who don't have the social and economic privilege? They need us. They need us to stand up. They need us to do something about this because we do have more power socially and economically than many women do, especially when you look at this globally. So back to those comments. That kind of reaction used to just shut me down. And what fixes this is hearing it from other women and understanding, knowing the data, knowing this is not something that you are inventing. It's not something a group of whiny women has come up with. This is a universal experience. When I think of women who make comments like the the two women who commented on my post that are belittling the problem, shaming women who point out these issues. I think a lot of it comes from shame from their side. Um, They don't want to be seen as someone who is whining or causing a problem or high maintenance and This is their reaction to that. This is an old, old way of keeping other women quiet so that everything stays smooth and everything goes okay and nothing gets messed up for us. So I think I understand where they were coming from and why they said what they said. But it's incredibly poisonous. You're not making this up. There are more and more women who are realizing this all of the time. And we're going to work together and we're going to figure this thing out. We're going to make it better for all of us. And this isn't, this isn't just for women. This is for our children. This is for our colleagues. Men do better when women are in their workplaces. And I think that maybe because we do help bring things into balance, our expectations are different and it's better when we work together. We all do better when we all do well, right? The rising tide lifts off ships. I don't like bringing issues like this up without giving at least some sort of practical way of dealing with it. And my first suggestion is to pay attention. Keep an invisible labor log. This idea came from Kasia Urbaniak, who I've taken classes with multiple times over the past year or two, and have learned so much from her about this. But really, the place that you start is paying attention. And then you start with small wins. You start with the things that you can delegate easily. You can hire help. You can just say, no, I'm not doing that anymore. And then there there are more difficult things. There are things that have to be done that are very time consuming. There's care that needs to be given. That's when learning how to ask and learning how to collaborate with your partner, your significant other, your family members, your friends, when you invite other people into to collaborate with you on issues. And honestly, you also may realize there are some people who really don't want to collaborate with you. And it's good to know that because you can reduce the time that you spend with those people and increase the time that you spend with people that you can get to collaborative solutions with. And I'll talk about that in the future. It's also something that will be a big topic in the course that I'm developing that will go live later this month. So let me know what you think. You can always send me a DM on Instagram. I'm dr.lauderdale, Dr. Lauderdale. And I'm also on Facebook, Rebecca Lauderdale MD. I have a page uh, you can comment there or send me a message also there is rebecca at rebecca lauderdale that's my email address i'll be posting on my instagram and facebook accounts about these things and the podcast episode so you can also comment there it's a joy and an honor to advocate for you and i can't wait to get more into doing this with you in a smaller group setting so Very, very soon. I'll be talking to you more about that. So on to the part you actually came here for. Our special guest today is Dr. Judy Wright. She is a family physician with over 15 years of experience. She's also a writer, a speaker, and the co-host of the Queens on Call podcast, which you guys, if you haven't listened to, really need to go listen to. She's Great. And her friends that co host with her are nurses and they talk about a wide variety of topics as well as advocating for people and helping to teach people how to navigate the healthcare system and advocate for themselves. She has a sociology background and focuses on seeing people holistically rather than just as a collection of medical conditions. And she has taken that ideology with her throughout her career. She lives with her husband and two children, enjoys cooking, and is an avid DIYer. She'll talk about that some today. Judy was diagnosed with breast cancer shortly before the pandemic began in early 2020. And that diagnosis and treatment and recovery have played a big part in a transformation in her life over the past year to two years. And she talks about that with me today, along with several other topics. I encourage you to check out her podcast, Queens on Call, and I will make sure and put her info in the show notes.
0: Dr. Judy Wright, thank you so much for sharing time with me today. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Thank you for inviting me. So I've told my listeners about you a little bit, and I hope that if they haven't checked out your podcast already, that they will. I've been listening and I've noticed, and I'm I'm sure this is no surprise to you, but there's a theme in your podcast that comes up many times, and it's one of turning adversity or difficulty into something very different and into empowerment. And I know that most of us who are passionate about, bringing a message to people like you are, and I am too, that we have a story of our own you know, that triggered that, that brought us to to feeling that passion and that desire to help other people. Tell us what's the story of your experience that led to the things that you're doing now?
2: Thank you so much. There's so many things that you go through in life, and it's probably like a bunch of different things that led me here. But I would say that where I am present has developed over the past year and a half. And what has been happening in the past year and a half probably has overtaken what was happening for the 10 uh-huh. years before that. In 2019, I got diagnosed at the tender age of 45. <laughs> uh-huh. Cancer. uh And it was completely shocking to me because when the doctor says she felt something, I'm like, okay, it's probably nothing. And when I went for my mammogram, that was a diagnostic mammogram, but I was like, it's going to be okay. Uh Uh-huh. This is like a 20, 25-minute procedure. So two hours later. Oh, I realized this is not good they were just they kept repeating stuff and I was like this is not good after that I have to say phenomenal practitioners explained got me into things and I realized pretty quickly that I was going to have to have a mastectomy Hmm. And my doctors led me through. They didn't tell me what to do, but they led me through. <laughs> and even though it was in one breast, I made the decision to have a double mastectomy because I had a family history. And so that didn't happen until 2020. And so 2020 was a very interesting year.
0: <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that, I would do several surgeries. I I did two separate surgeries just in the month of January. So that started mm-hmm. in January. And then As I was home, I started to realize something that I was calm and more at peace. Now I was the type of person I had to be doing something and family, like my family and my friends just gathered and it was just like, you better not lift a finger.
0: Right. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. You had a posse. Good. (laughs) And I was just like, I don't know how
2: not to lift a finger, but That's what I had to do to be able to recover. And I started to notice, like, I wasn't even taking my blood pressure medication or anything like that, but the blood pressure I couldn't get under control for years Mm. was suddenly under control. Oh, wow. And I was like, wow, like, is this a fluke? Like, you know, and I wasn't stressed out. I wasn't, I I just was in a different headspace. I even started to get acclimated with. OK, I'm not going to lift a finger. And I got to spend time with my children. Yeah. Um, and I had realized that wasn't happening as much in the past few years, not the way I wanted it to. Mm-hmm. And over the the few years before that, I started to feel like jack of all trades, master of none and didn't feel as, I was, as if I was doing anything really well, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and that's not a feeling.
0: No. Right? Yeah, I think I know. So, um, I think I know that feeling. Yeah. yeah, So over
2: time, I started to think and think and think. And I made a decision to leave the job I was in while I was on leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very, um, mm-hmm. and that wasn't an easy decision, but I talked it over with my husband, who's always supportive. And I made that decision to leave. This is what was best for me. It's, it was time to move on. And I kind of mm-hmm. knew that. Even before I got diagnosed, it was time to move on. But then came COVID. Uh-huh. <laughs> and COVID, I look at COVID a little differently. So, COVID caused me, so I, I actually was interviewed for an article where I said, I lost three things I lost my breast, I lost my job. Yeah, I left it, but I lost my breast, mm-hmm. my job, and my social circle because the family mm-hmm. had left they intended to come back and help. We're on lockdown. And so that could have been a pretty like, oh, my God, devastating time. But it wasn't. I I was able to be there for my children. My husband is in healthcare as well. He's a respiratory therapist. He was still Mm -hmm. working.
0: Oh, wow. That's scary.
2: Yes. Um, I definitely I was able to be there for them and I wouldn't have given that up for the world. Now, I'm not supposed to be a teacher of any elementary school children. I'm just going to tell you that right now.
0: <laughs> oh, me too. Join the club <laughs> with me.
2: <laughs> but I wouldn't have given up the time with them for the world. Mm-hmm. And yeah. What I noticed is that I didn't just slow down, which I had already slowed down. For mm-hmm. January. The world started to slow down. And as the world, Rebecca, started to slow down, I was able to do something that I had not been able to do mm-hmm where i was working because mm-hmm. i was working so hard i was able to sit down and think to sit down and think i knew that i wanted to do more but i couldn't never, i never had the time to think of what is more mm-hmm. what, what does that look like and that's where i started to see the transition because i started to open myself up to more things and two of my um, previous coworkers came to me and asked me if I wanted to do a podcast. And I was sitting on the phone, looking at my phone, like they have lost their mind. And I said, <laughs> why? And they told me, and I said, let me get back to you. And before the day was out, I called them back and said, yeah, I'll do it. You know? <laughs> and I, that's when I started to see the transition. It doesn't mean that I knew what I wanted to do. It meant that mm-hmm. I now opened myself up to the possibilities of doing other things.
0: Yeah. So and that, we... That was transition period. We talked about that a little before we started recording. And I think I've had the experience before of knowing I wanted something different, but wasn't really sure what it was because I had been living in a way where I was fulfilling obligations, you know, spending all my time fulfilling obligations and not really thinking about what are my long-term desires? What am I headed toward those? And then they're, they're just those things that happen that just stop you and say... You don't get to live forever, yeah. you know. Yeah,
2: people don't realize it. I start to understand what they mean about the rat race, and it wasn't that I was necessarily trying to move up some ladder. Like mm-hmm. it was more of you just do you like just doing things, yeah, and round and round in a circle, and but you're not. It, it comes to a point where you're not even doing it with purpose. Like what
0: mm-hmm.
2: is your heart feeling? Mm-hmm. Right? And I told people. I still feel super busy, but it's, I'm in a different place with it, right? Like Uh I want to do and stuff I have to do and even the stuff I have to do, I'm having more pleasure with.
0: with Yeah. 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 I think wow. the pandemic and this maybe this is true for you, too, that there were some ways at least those first few months were a gift. Not that I would ever wish illness on anyone or if there was some way for it to have happened without a pandemic, that would certainly be my preference. But a lot of us had to say no or the opportunities were just taken away from us yeah. to do all the things All the little obligations, all the extracurricular things all got stopped, whether we wanted to or not.
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) And now as they start adding them back, I can decide, was that really something that was good for us or were we just too busy? A lot of it wasn't good. A lot of it was it was too much. Or like you said, it was focused in a different way. It was focused on just doing and doing and doing instead of something that you're passionate about and that you love, which takes a, it's a different kind of energy and seems to be replenished more easily, I think. Yeah. yeah. I, agree. I agree. So tell me a little more about how you've navigated this world of figuring out what you want. Uh, You you said you didn't really know what you wanted to do. Figuring it out,
2: um, Mm -hmm. but having fun figuring it out. So Mm -hmm. um, this podcast, for one, when we started off, as you well know, it's like you have to get your sea legs. So Mm I would say that first year, we had some starts and stops because life Happened so that first year, we started June of 2020 and we had a few episodes uh and so this June would be one year and we already feel the difference of how the three of us but we already feel the difference like we come mm-hmm. ready chizzed up we're like yes mm-hmm. let's do it and we're excited about that the other thing is I feel like <laughs> I never really thought of myself as that creative. And I've kind of had to slap myself and said, you're crazy. Like, I don't know, because I've always liked to do things. Like I like to DIY. So I like to house and build stuff and all of that. And I'm like, you've always had a creative spirit. And now I, one day I was just sitting here and and that's the thing when you have time to kind of, it allows things to flow. And one day I was just sitting here and something my, so both of my children, I'm going to start, both of my children have multiple food allergies. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I do Facebook lives once in a while, and what I tend to concentrate on are food allergies. But uh-huh. I know because mm-hmm. I've been dealing with it all these years <laughs> and, and something my son always would say when he was younger, came to me and I said, man, that sounds like a children's book title. And I was like, where did that come from? (laughs) Where did that come from? Children's book title. But it stuck in my craw. It really did in a good way. And so I started writing, but I couldn't get my mind around how I would do it. How do you make this interesting? And then I went to a seminar over the past two weekends, and suddenly the first draft started to flow. Oh, that's wonderful. And a title came to my head for even a second book, Mm -hmm. based around something with my daughter, and that started to flow. So, like, I first drafted two books, which they can change. The draft can change Mm -hmm. change, radically. It can change a little bit, but the fact that it happened, it's like, Whoa. And I'm like excited that took place. So I'm still trying to find my way. Uh huh. But it's exciting, a little scary, Mm -hmm. much more exciting than scary, though. And that's big.
0: Mm hmm. That's Mm -hmm. really big. I love that you mentioned the creativity because I, I think that particularly physicians and, and probably other people in similar professions, we don't tend to think of our work as creative and we don't tend to think of ourselves or unless we at an earlier point in our life had cultivated a specific craft, don't really consider what we do to be creative. And I, you know, Was into my 40s before I realized how important creativity is and expressing creativity. And that the thing that you learn with that is that things don't come out perfect. You mentioned the draft. You can't write a book that doesn't have to be edited. It doesn't spring forth just done. I know at least I had this kind of expectation that that's the way things would be. And if I can't do it that way, something's wrong. <laughs> and you don't realize that it's all the iterations that you start out and you're clumsy and it's a crappy first draft, but you have a scaffolding to work with and then you just, yeah. you change it. And I, I wish that I had learned that earlier. I'm glad that you brought that up. I think that's so important. I think it's just part of hu- who humans are. We as humans are creative creatures yeah. and it's part of what makes us fulfill Filled and happy. And we
2: need to be okay with the process. And I think that's one I think like positions are not always, we're like, we're like, <laughs> this, we just need to know this and it needs to go
0: that way. Right. <laughs> turn to the right. That's there, it. <laughs> there need to be rules <laughs> there there for to us to follow.
2: We need to be okay with the, the process and the journey of it all and, yeah. and not, and not be so down if it doesn't turn out that way that you mm-hmm. expected it to turn out. And it's not always going to be happy, happy, joy, joy. Um, mm-hmm. But I just being able to do that. And like I said, trying to put myself out there, like I was a person that uh, I, I wouldn't even put my picture up on social media. There might be like pictures mm-hmm. of sayings or something. And the fact that the coach, and that's another thing that I did. I mm-hmm. coach and Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that my coach got me to put myself out there, mm-hmm. and like, you're going to do a Facebook Live. I was like, who's going to do a Facebook Live? <laughs>
0: <Right>? <laughs> don't just kids do that? <laughs> That's what I used to think. And my kids are like, Mom, we don't use Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> And they're right.
2: They're, they're right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, But she said no. I want you to. She. What, she had me do like affirmations for thirty days, just mm-hmm. post them so that everybody could see them. And
0: uh-huh. I,
2: I, I was just like. Ugh. But the surprising thing that happened is that people told me they came on looking for that day's a- affirmation. <laughs> I they're love it. only to do say today, and uh-huh. I. Thought, oh right, like yeah. <laughs> Um mm and then I did the Facebook Lives. Are they easy for me? No, I won't I won't say that they're super easy for me because it's weird talking to the camera. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Yeah.
2: but I do them and they're not hard the way they were that first time or two. Now it's just like, you know, I'm just gonna talk about whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> instead, that first time or two, you're kind of like, okay, it has to be polished or something. And now I'm just like, okay, so I feel like talking about this today. So let's talk about this. Anything out of my head, mostly that has to do with food allergies and it works. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Another thing that I noticed you've talked about more than once, you've talked about actually a lot on your podcast with your co-hosts, is you've you're advocating for other people to learn how to advocate for themselves yeah. in the healthcare system. Yeah. And not, not just healthcare, but particularly that. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if you have you've been a patient. A lot more in this past year and a half. And that side of things is so different. Tell me more about that, your interest in helping other people advocate for themselves.
2: So, even before that, I'm the kind of person sorry to all the other physicians that will walk into a new physician's office and never tell them I'm a physician. Talk to me Mm -hmm. like I'm in first grade because what I Mm -hmm. don't like is when, while I'm advocating for myself, yes. I don't like when someone leaves me to treat myself. I don't want that.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm.
2: And one of the things I said to my husband as well when we started having children is, I am not going to be the children's pediatrician or family physician.
0: Yes. If
2: it's an emergency, yes. I will most definitely stabilize mm-hmm. the situation. But mm-hmm. I want to be their mother
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I don't want to be their position. I, I acknowledge there's a lot that I know that mm-hmm. laymen made it. So we have the medical knowledge. And then on top of that, I work, I'm a medical director for an insurance company. So I know that side piece too, right? Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is a lot more than I know. So I acknowledge
2: that I know that. And yet, and still, there are times when I'm shocked and surprised. And so I would notice, I'll give you an example. So my mom, a few years ago, she fell down the stairs are basically of uh, the family home and I these are steps that as a kid I used to run up the steps and count the steps I knew the steps were made of metal or whatever my sister is a nurse my sister uh-huh. goes to the hospital my sister calls me she says they're trying to discharge mom I said did they do a cast scan or anything like that my mom has high blood pressure as well and she said no they, they said it's a mechanical fall what? <laughs> like <Yeah>. so <laughs> It's a mechanical fall what? <laughs> so, um, my mom is not a complainer she wanted to be home anyway so she was ready to go home i get on the phone with them and i start to tell them and they're like it's a mechanical fall ma'am and your mother says she wants to go home i said right because she's 70 something years old and of course she wants to go home so yeah a woman who has high blood pressure who fell down 10 metal steps backward and hit her head on the basement floor which is made of <sighs> cement and they were like what and they quickly did the scan, and, and everything was mm-hmm. all right my mom still has neck pain to this day this was a few but they were going to send her home like that and let say to myself every time something like this happens is if this is happening mm-hmm. and i have the knowledge what's happening to those who don't and that's yeah. not fair Mm-hmm. What's happening to those who don't have the voice to mm-hmm. fight for themselves? Because maybe they don't know what their rights are, even though everybody. But that's a long thing. What mm-hmm. what happened? They don't know who to ask for. They don't know that they can ask for a patient advocate. They don't know. They don't know to basic questions. Simple basic questions that they can ask get some something moving. Mm-hmm. And some of it just takes a little knowledge. You don't have to know medicine that well to know how to advocate for yourself and advocate for people who, who you love if you're a parent and you try to advocate for your children all the time you can do that for yourself too and i think a lot of times we ignore ourselves even though we'll do the world for our children and even mm-hmm. or advocating mm-hmm. for ourselves so that I, I that that is what sticks with myself and my co-hosts because they've had similar
0: issues advocating mm-hmm family members. Your co-hosts are nurses, right? Yes, they're nurses. So they're they know the system, too. They know, um, know the system, yeah. I'm glad that you brought that up because I know spe- that the first part where you talked about, I'm not going to be my kid's doctor and I'm not going to be my own doctor either. And I've had I have a great primary care physician and I've just told her I'm not good at making decisions for myself if I'm sick. I'm going to come and say, look, I'm having these problems. And I really like I could think of about a million tests that I could do chasing something down a rabbit hole. I was like, I trust your judgment. And I'm going to let you know if I have some desire to do something differently. My mother was in a car accident last fall and thankfully she's fine now, but she had a pelvic fracture that was non-displaced. So she had to do rehab, but being in the emergency room with her after that and waiting for the scans to come back and seeing how the, the transition was made from the emergency room to her room upstairs and the physical therapy that she got. And then the feedback from her orthopedic surgeon later. And it was really helpful that I was there to ask questions because like you said, she didn't know that she could even ask certain things. Or ask for certain things. And it does frighten me. Like, what if this is happening? And I'm sitting here in the room and they know I'm a physician in this system.
2: What's happening to everybody else? So we just want to empower people. And we feel that like our podcast is good for anybody. Cause oh, yeah. It can be anxiety ridden for er- anybody. But definitely a lot of the people in the underserved communities don't realize Mm-hmm voice and just want to empower people to to advocate for like you can do this you can do this and don't just ignore I tell people sometimes you have have to advocate for family like how do I say it like you have to advocate almost against them for them right you know (laughs) right
0: Uh
2: sometimes they're, they're not doing what they need to do. Let's get it done because I want you better. I I want you to be able to be better and you want to be better.
0: I have enjoyed listening to your podcast and I think our listeners will enjoy that too. You cover lots of different medical topics. You also cover ethical things and you've covered issues with race and privilege and you've covered some personal experiences with illness and navigating the system and you've brought on guests. And I just, I think our listeners are going to love it. And if they haven't listened already, and there's a broad audience that will get benefit from that. So I'm going to make sure we link. To your podcast in the show notes here. <laughs> oh, I
2: appreciate
0: it. Mm-hmm. So before we go, I have just a light-hearted question for you. So, what's on your nightstand? What are you reading? What have you enjoyed lately?
2: Oh. What is on my nightstand? I'm not getting to read very much, but I there's a book that I started called peace with every breath. And it's it's supposed to calm you. I think that it was a Buddhist that wrote it.
0: Is it Thich Nhat Hanh? I think so. Yes, I think so. Uh Uh-huh. I think I have that book. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) me too. It is good. (laughs) I have
2: that. And the other book that I have on my nightstand, which I've read several times, by the way, is Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway.
0: Oh, who wrote that? Who's Uh, the author? Me. Feel the fear and do it anyway. I got it. I got it. Oh, okay. Susan Jeffers. Susan Jeffers. And
2: I like audiobooks, but I like, um, I like true crime. All ID and oxygen and audiobooks on true crime.
0: Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten hooked on. Do you ever listen to my favorite murder podcast? No, I've never I've never heard that one. If you like true crime, you'll they're so it's two two friends, two women. They both have backgrounds in comedy. Okay. And, but they have this love of tree crime and they each tell a story of a murder or a famous crime or something each episode. But then their banter about it is just so hilariously funny. But they're also victims' advocates and they've done some really cool fundraising things. I think you would like them. I listen to it before I go to bed at night, which sounds kind of weird, but.
2: That's, uh, no, I'm going to look for it because it's so funny because there's this woman on Facebook. I guess she does makeup. I don't know if she's a model, but she does her makeup. And she uh-huh. talk about a crime while she's doing her makeup. I'm fascinated that she's able to do that and talk.
0: One of my daughters watches her and she's shown me some of her videos. I'm like, how is she remembering all those details and doing her makeup at the same time? She's doing a good job at both. <laughs> Wonderful job at both. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I
2: love it. That, that's, my, that's my thing. I, I that's my um, my secret pleasure. And that's <laughs> because all my friends and my my husband just looks at me like, <laughs> "What's going on? Why are you always watching?" Id. <laughs>
0: Well, Dr. Judy Wright, I am so glad that we got to spend time together today. Thank you for sharing with us, and I hope that we get to meet in person and chat sometime in real life once this pandemic is over with. I do too. Um, it's and been, it's I been a pleasure. Thank you. So yeah, much. and I wish you all the best. Thank
1: you. I love talking with her, and I hope that you enjoyed that conversation. If you like this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you would rate, review, subscribe in Apple Podcasts. That makes a big difference in my ability to be seen by others and get the word out to more women physicians. Your support means a great deal to me, and this has been such a joy. I hope that you'll come back next week for my next installment of my interview series and more information on my upcoming small group course that will launch later this month. Much love, as always.